this evening turn to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16 this evening. Genesis chapter 16. We're going to be walking through the Old Testament, looking at the life of Abraham for the last several weeks on Sunday night. Brother Carol mentioned uh, Brother Nate. Brother Nate is heading up tonight to uh, this afternoon up to uh, Fredia, uh, outside of Atlanta. He's going to be that way. Yeah, that way. I can never pronounce that word, but it's up there at Atlanta. One of the suburbs of Atlanta. One of many suburbs of Atlanta. Uh, and he's heading up that way, and he's uh, going to be involved with the Brisbane Baptist Missions. Uh, he's going to work, and he, thankfully his work here transferred to his work there. Uh, he was able to transfer laterally without losing anything, thankfully. And um, some of the same positions, some of the same things he's doing here. And then he's, he's going to be starting this fall uh, doing basically uh, college for missionaries. He's going to be doing that for, I think, three trimesters. They have trimesters. And then he'll be doing several things, taking a missions trip, a couple missions trips. And uh, so we just pray for him. He won't be with us. Hopefully he'll call me back every now and then. He won't be with us physically. But we want, need to remember him in our prayers and our thoughts. Obviously, anytime you go from something you know to something you don't know, and a lot, of you, a lot of you know what that's like, transitioning into something new, something different, changing your location, where you live, uh, even your workplace, where, who, you, who you're working under. That's a huge step in life, and there's a lot of ifs and ands and what's going to happen. And So remember him in your prayers, if you would. Genesis chapter 16, this evening, Genesis chapter 16. Have you ever wondered why don't things happen in your life the way you think they should happen? <laughs> Mary Lynn said yes. You ever, you ever thought to yourself, I wish I had more faith? Or maybe the reason why things aren't going the way you want them to go is because of your lack of faith. I've talked to many a husband or wife who wish things were different in their relationship. They think, well, maybe it's, maybe it's me, or maybe it's him, or maybe it's both of us. Or maybe you're wanting a job. Or maybe you're, you're looking for something different. You're, you're anticipating something. You're desiring something. It just, it just, it's just not happening. And you wonder to yourself, why? Why? Is it me? Is it God? Have I sinned? <laughs> Have I done something wrong? In the Christian life, I wish I could say to you the Christian life is always steadily upward. That every, everything, every place, every move of your life is always going to be positive. But in the Christian life, there's, there's ups and downs, like everything. I wish, it, I wish it was always onward and upward and greater. And, and, but sometimes, even in the greatest of, of lives that we see in the Bible, and I'm so glad that God puts things in the Bible like this chapter, to realize we're talking about real people. If this was a fake book, it would everything be, you know, positive. Everybody, everybody wins. Every prayer request is answered. There's no failures. There are no mistakes. There's no sins. It's all, it's all happy, 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 goody, goody, goody all the time. That's just not reality. And if anybody tells you that, they're lying to you. If, if everybody says, well, the Christian life doesn't have troubles and trials and problems, if people are saying, well, you know, it, you're never going to doubt your faith, you're never going to waver in your faith, you're never going to struggle in the Christian life, They've just not lived the Christian life. They just don't. Because even the best of men and best of women sometimes waver in their faith. Abraham is called the friend of God. 
in chapter 16, he wavers in his relationship with God. He wavers. He wavers. His name is Abraham. That means the father of many. Ten years go by. He's 75 years old. He's 85 years old. He has no children. Now imagine that. You're called Abraham. Somebody, somebody, come, somebody come up to you. Hey, how you doing? What's your name, Abraham? You got a lot of kids, don't you? How many times the guy who asked that question, Brother Peach, we're just talking about it. <laughs> Sometimes things happen in a person's life, you know. He announces, I'm going ha- to be a daddy. Ten years go by. He ain't a daddy. How many people come by him at church? When are you going to have a kid? 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 You said you're going to have a kid ten years ago. Where's the kids? Now, is it, Abraham, what would you do wrong? What'd you lie about? What'd you steal? Is it Sarah? What'd she do wrong? See, people are people are talking, murmur, murmuring at home. He'd been saying he's gonna have kids, his herdsmen, the people work with him, who sinned, what do you do wrong? You know, they're thinking, they're thinking somebody did wrong. It's just automatic when things don't go the way we think they should go. We don't think maybe God's in, maybe God's causing this. We think it's us. Right? So-and-so didn't get the promotion. So-and-so didn't have a child. Oh, dear, dear, dear Sarah, Sandy, or whoever she is, she didn't, she's she been talking about getting married for 30 years. She's now 80 years old. She still ain't got married. And she said when she was 13, she went to camp, and God told her she was going to have a, a husband. Who was wrong? That stuff happens all the time. That stuff happens all the time. Here we are in 16, chapter 16. Abraham, 10 years waiting. Now, I can't wait 10 minutes. How about you sometimes? Now you're asking, you're asking Abraham to wait, to wait on God. Let's look at this passage of scriptures. First of all, this evening, we see the alternatives to faith. After waiting 10 years, 10 long years, we see some problems, some wavering of his faith. Look at it, verse 1. Now Sarai, or Abram's wife, bear, wife, bear me no children. And she said to the handmaid, an Egyptian whose, uh, whose name was Hagar. Then Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go into my maid. It may be that, that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Hmm. What did he do? First of all, in his decision making, he made he made it he, he took improper advice. He took improper advice. Now, most of the time, and I say most of the time, I say generally speaking, I always tell a man to listen to his wife. I thought I'd hear at least thirty ladies shout, sing, wave a hanky, do something. Generally speaking, men, you should always listen to your wife. Not one man spoke up at all. You all were quiet. It was your opportunity to shine. Amen. Man, you could have got brownie points tonight, man. She would have actually fixed your steak tonight or something if you'd have shouted or something. Yeah, that's a good thing. I said, generally speaking, I did not say always. Because not always, not, it, not any, no one is always right. Right? No one is always right. But a man who is married should always listen to his wife. 
it does not mean he should always obey, or, I mean, follow what she says. <laughs> Do you get what, you get my drift? <laughs> you get what I'm trying to say to you? Just because she suggests something does not mean you should do it. You should listen to it. You should think about it. A man who never listens to his wife is a fool. Just playing out straight. A man who's married who never listens to his wife is just a plain fool. But a man should listen to his wife. Consider it. Pay attention. Because God gave man a, a wife to help him. She sees things he can't see. She understands things he can't understand. He should listen, but it does not mean that he should always do what she thinks should happen. And in this case, Abraham shouldn't have listened. He should have heard what she said, but he should, she should have said, Sarah, I know it's been a long time. I know it's been 10 years. I know those women down at the parlor where you get your nails done. I know down there at the Target, the Walmart, I know they've been yipping and yapping and saying, whose fault is it? Is it you? Is it Abraham? Who is it that you know they're talking? They like to talk. They like to chit-chat. I wonder what the problem is. And she was tired of saying, I don't know. She took improper advice. It was unbiblical advice, and it was wrong. Men, according to God, you are the head of the house. You choose the direction. You're the leaders. You are going to stand before God. You, yourself, responsible for your home. You say, well, my wife said, or my kid did, or my cat did. No, no matter what they did, what did you do? Biblically, the man is supposed to be head of the home. He made a bad decision. He, listened, he received improper advice, and he took it. He took it. Secondly, not only that, he rejected the laws of marriage. It says in verse 3, And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the maid, the Egyptian, and, Abram, and after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave, unto her, gave to her, her husband to be his wife. God's design has always been one man, one wife, till death do their part. That's always God's design. Back to Genesis, all the way through. It's never changed. Now, the customs of the day, they were living in the land of the Canaanites. Canaanite men had lots of wives, especially those in authority. But dear friends, just because society is doing something doesn't mean Christians should do it. Amen? If you do things just because society does it, you're in trouble. Because they come and go. They change. They're always going the wrong way. They're like that tide out in the Gulf. They're, the society is always going towards the wrong way. If you go out there and say, well, the world's doing that. The, girl, the world's doing all kind of crazy stuff. It's getting crazier and crazier and crazier. It's not getting more conservative. You was a day, many of you lived in a day where you rarely even heard about divorce. You rarely heard about uh, lesbianism and, and people being uh, gay or, or, or homosexuality. You didn't hear about that stuff. Man, in my high school, in the South, in the 80s, if somebody would have come out of the closet, they would have been beat up. 
I'm just being honest with you. If somebody came up my high school, if one of the guys on the football team said, got out and said, hey, guys, I just want to tell you I'm gay, everybody would beat him up. They said, well, that was wrong. Well, dear friends, it is wrong. Homosexuality was wrong. And everybody knew it. They didn't talk about maybe you know because it was a shameful thing. It was a wicked thing. It was a wrong thing. And dear friends, it's still wrong today. But society accepts it because everybody says, well, you know, that's just my truth. No, dear friend, it's not my truth. It's the Bible truth. God says homosexuality and lesbianism is an abomination. It's always been an abomination. It is an abomination. And it always will be an abomination. It's the way it is. And for, for, for us as Christians to say, well, maybe it's not that bad. No, dear friend, it's always been bad. Society's just now, and unfortunately, the church now is saying, well, it's, it's, you know, we need to, well, sure, we need to love them. And, and, and it's not just homosexuality. It's anybody who's, who's, who's choosing a life of sin. It's anybody who's doing wrong. The problem is we want to not talk about truth because we don't want to offend anybody because it hurts our feelings. And, and that's what's happening in the world. <laughs> Society is just going further and further and further. And what's the church do? Well, we're not, we're not right next to the world, but we try to stay kind of right. We just kind of go with the flow. Right? The things I'm saying to you 20, 30 years ago, they wouldn't even be mentioned because they, everybody knew it was wrong. Everybody knew it was wrong. It was just the way it, it's, it's truth. Truth, by its very essence, never changes. It's always the same. So they're rejecting the laws of marriage. They're saying, well, you know, Abraham, maybe it's you, or Sarah, maybe it's you. Let's just, let's just do plan B. And that's always what the devil wants you to do. God has a will for your life. And when things aren't working the way you think they should work out, what happens? Plan B. Plan B. No, dear friend, stick with God, God's plan for your life. Thirdly, he refused to wait. Genesis chapter 16, verse 4. He went to Hagar and conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. The bottom line is Abraham would not wait on God's will. He would not wait. Waiting, as I said to you, even last week, is one of the most difficult things we can do in life, especially when you want something very badly. Sometimes, oftentimes, we compromise what we believe and choose to go the easy way instead of God's way. What is the result of violating God's revelation? First of all, there's a jealous rivalry occurs. Verse 4, look at it. We went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Isn't that something? Hey, Sarah's the one who thinks this whole thing up. It actually happens. And now Sarah, uh, Hagar is despised in her eyes. There's a rivalry. Because there's not supposed to be two women in the kitchen. Amen. <laughs> when you do wrong and you compromise, it's going to cause problems in your life. And you can't just wipe those problems off with Ajax. You can't just say, oops, I shouldn't have done that. You can't just go to God and say, God, forgive me. Yes, he will forgive you, friend, but the consequences are going to last the rest of your life. I often counsel people who made horrible decisions 20, 30, 40 years ago. And I can say to them, as honestly as the Bible teaches, God will forgive your sins. And that's true. 
if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the consequences of those sins that you committed at 15, at 16, or 18, or 20, or 25, or 35, part of those consequences will, last, will be with you for the rest of your life. That's why it's so important to make right decisions. That's why you want to pray every day, lead me into thy will. That's why you want to seek wise counsel when you're getting ready to make decisions in life. Because one wrong choice could follow you to the day you die. Follow you to the day you die. So there was a, a jealous rivalry. There was marital friction. Verse 5, look, it says, Sarah said, Abraham, my, my wrong be upon thee. <laughs> What's she saying? Abraham, it's your fault. <laughs> it's got to be somebody's fault, right? Abraham, it's your fault. <laughs> but Sarah, wasn't this your idea? You say it's my fault? What does she say? Judge, verse 5, judge between me and thee. Who judged between me and thee? Whose fault is it? So we have jealous rivalry, marital friction, further weakness in Abraham's authority. Look what Abraham says, verse 6. But Abraham said unto Sarah, Behold, the maid is that maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. He abdicated his responsibility. Bad move. Who was the head? Who was the head? What is he saying? Well, you, I tell you what, Sarah, you do what you want to do. No, that was a, no, that was a, a bad decision. Not do what you want to do. Do what's right. Man, if you just do what you want to do, you're going to be in a world of hurt. If you go tomorrow morning to your work and say, hey, boss, I'm going to do what I want to do today. How about that? How long are you going to last? Not long. Not long. Because the boss is going to say, do I work for you? You work for me. I'll just work. You say, well, boss, I want to do what I want to do. I want to, I want to work when I want to work. I want to get off when I want to get off. I want to get paid when I get paid. I don't think it works that way. Amen. Don't work that way, no friend. <laughs> you you got to you under authority. Abraham uh, he he let go of his authority to please his wife. He made bad decisions. And the innocent is hurt. Verse 6. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Hagar is sold as a servant. She's told to have a relationship with her master. Here's this woman who's a slave, been sold a slave. Remember, they went down to Egypt because they feared the famine. Went down there. Hagar becomes a servant girl to the family. She's sold into their, uh, to their family as a servant. She's told to have a relationship with her master, Abraham. She becomes pregnant, and her master's wife is now mad and jealous, even though she was told to do it. So what happens? The innocent are hurt. And whenever there's disobedience, the innocent are hurt. It happens in a family. When a man and wife divorce, who's hurt? The children. They're confused. This whole thing, you stay with me one weekend, you stay with that me one weekend, you go with me one day, you stay with me. That's all foolishness. It's not what God intends. It's, it's horrible. Who's in, who's in charge here? If mom and dad, if we don't know what's right, how can we teach our kids what's right? We have to do what's right. Well, I read a book by a, by a psychologist, Gordon Peterson. The, the worth of the book is one chapter on how to parent. 
This man is not a Christian, but he's a conservative. But he talks about the importance of how to pray. I was like, man, every parent in the whole world needs to read that. It's not giving away to what they want. You're the authority. You make the rules. Don't let your children make the rules. You're the head. They're not the authority. Who's in charge of your home? Mom and dad? Are your, are your kids in charge? Who's in charge? You're the authority in the home. Who's making decisions in your house, really? Whenever there's something wrong, innocent, the innocent are hurt. I read a story just before the Civil War. There was a man by the name of Worsley Taylor, a hired young man named, he hired a young man by the name of James. Uh, in the summer time, he, James was cutting wood, milking cows, sleeping in the barn. And of course, Mr. Taylor had a daughter, and James fell in love with the daughter. And after the summer time was over, James went up to Mr. Worthy and Taylor and said, Hey, can I marry your daughter? We love each other. We want to get married. Mr. Taylor said to him, You got nothing. <laughs> you poor. You, you work for me. You have nothing. And basically, you are nothing. You can't marry my daughter. You have nothing. The man responded, James responded, I will work. I will provide for her. I will take care of her. Mr. Taylor said, nope. Sorry, friend. And he left. 35 years later, Mr. Taylor continues to prosper. He's tearing down his barn. And inscribed on one of the rafters of the barn was the name of this man. You know what his name was? His name was James a. Garfield, president of the United States of America. Oh, if he'd give the man an opportunity, if he'd have believed this man who was working hard, doing everything, say he loved his daughter, that man's daughter could have been married to the president of the United States of America. Oh, how different things are. What was happening with Abraham? Abraham basically was like Mr. Worthy. He did not believe God. He got to the place where he did not believe God. Do you and I trust what God says in our life? Do we believe it? We see the alternates of faith. Secondly, the actions of a sovereign God. It says in verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by the fountain of water in the wilderness by the fountain in the way of Shur. He said, Hagar, Sagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou? Whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the faith of Mistress Sarah." And, and little did Hagar know, but God in his infinite grace had been hard on her heels every step of the way. We see the coming of the omnipresent one. He was there for her. Hagar was the innocent one. Hagar didn't ask for this. Hagar did this because she was a servant. She was expected to do this. If she didn't obey her master, she feared for her life. And sometimes that happens in life. Sometimes we get put in situations that are not good, not difficult, or not, not the best. And that's exactly where she was at. She decided to flee. She decided to get out of the situation. And what does God do? God, through the angel of the Lord, and this is probably the first time in the scriptures we see this phrase, the angel of the Lord is actually the pre-incarnate Christ called a Christophany. And isn't it interesting enough, this Christophany of or pre-incarnate Christ, doesn't come to Abraham. Doesn't come 
uh, to so, any other any of these great and mighty people. Enoch doesn't come to to uh, to uh, to Abel. He comes to this lonely young lady who's an objection, and he says to her, "I see you. I see what's going on." What does he do? He doesn't go to her and he says, I see what you're doing. You're making bad decisions. You shouldn't leave. He, 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 what does he do? He asks a question. He asks a question. Whence comest thou and whither wilt thou go? Questions convict the conscience. Statements harden the will. Moms and dads, you have supper time at 5 o'clock. You told your kids don't eat anything. You see them with a bologna sandwich in their hand at 4.30. Now, you can preach a message, or you can ask the question, what is that sandwich doing in your hand? You see, they already know they're wrong. You know they're wrong. They know they're wrong. Now, you can preach a message on thou shalt, thou shalt honor thy father and mother. <laughs> I've all, we've all done that. Or you can simply ask the question, what you doing with that Bologna sandwich in your hand. You know it's 4.30, right? Instead of 5 o'clock. Ask questions. Isn't it interesting? God came to Adam and asked the question. God came to Cain and asked the question. God came to Hagar and asked the question. God asked questions. It's not that he doesn't know. He wants to know, do we know? Do we know? God sees us. The Bible says in Psalm 139, verse 8, I love this passage. If I sin up in the heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light around about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, and the night shineth as the day. The darkness and light are both alike to thee. Wherever you are, dear friend, God's there with you. He sees you. You say, well, nobody sees me. Nobody cares for me. Oh, dear friend, God cares for you. Here's this woman who's not even a Jew. Who's just, here's this woman who's been put in a, a bad situation, a terrible between the devil and the deep blue sea, figuratively speaking. She's made to have a relationship with her master because she's probably fearful of her life. She does it, and now she's the hated one. She leaves, scared for her life, probably heading back towards Egypt. And in her despair, in her discouragement, in her fright, God sees her. Dear friend, if God sees Hagar, God sees you. God sees you tonight. You might be in a bad marriage. You might be, you may be looking up and say, Lord, where am I going to be five years from now? Things aren't where I'm supposed to be. Maybe discouraged, distressed, disembobulated. But I tell you what, God sees you. God sees you right where you are right now. You may think nobody cares, nobody hears. But God sees and God cares. Don't ever think the God of the universe doesn't see where you're at and knows what you're going through. He does. He, do, he does. We see the coming of the omnipresent one. Secondly, the command of the omnipotent one. It says in verse 9, the angel of the Lord said unto her, return to thy mistress and submit thyself unto her hands. <laughs> he not only sees, sees her, he instructs her. See, if you listen to God, he'll not only realize, make you realize that he's with you, he will give you the next step to take. 
just wait. Listen. Listen to his voice. Wait. The problem is oftentimes we do our own thing instead of waiting and listening to what God wants us to do. Wait. What does he want you to do? He's got something for her to do. It's something that she probably thinks is impossible. God said, I want you to go back to where you were despised and submit yourself to that woman who hates you. Can you imagine how she felt about that? That's that's the only thing she did not want to do. She did not want to go back and face that lady one more day. She didn't want to hear it. She didn't want to see it. She didn't want to be there. That's exactly what God wanted her to do. You know what? God will give you the grace to do what you need to do. He'll offer you, give you the grace to do it. Faithful is he that calleth you, will also will do it. Being confident in this very thing, that he which begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Where God guides you, he will provide for you. He was saying to her, go back. I, I know, I, I see you. I see where you're at. I see your struggle. I see your difficulty. But go back. Submit yourself unto her. Stay with her. Go back into your place of protection. Go back. Go back. The Bible says, thirdly, the comfort of the omniscient one. We see the omnipotent one, the all-knowing, I mean the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the omniscient, omnipotent one, verse C, uh, verse, uh, verse 10 through 12. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child and shalt bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Ishmael. God calls his name, God shall hear. Isn't that interesting? Ishmael. Verse 12, and he shall be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of the brethren. And that is true. You know who the, who the descendants of Ishmael are? The same person our president is trying to get oil from right now. And that's a different sermon for a different time. Arabs. The descendants of Ishmael are Arabs. And exactly what God said is happening, it's happening right now. They're men of war and they're they're against every man. We see the alternatives of faith, the actions of a sovereign God and the attitude of Hagar. How did she respond to this? Well, first of all, she gave verbal expression to her faith when she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, the God that seest me. Wherefore the well was called bear the well of him that liveth and seeth me. One, tra- one person says, this is the well, the vision of life. She named the place in faith exactly what God was doing. He was seeing her. He was protecting there. She thought she was alone. She thought no one cared. She was desperate. She was lonely. She was fearful. But she realized that God cared. Not only did she have an expression of faith, she got she had she, uh, she a verbal expression of her faith. She gave a vital expression of her faith. And Hagar, verse 15, uh, bare Abraham's son, and, and Abram called his, the son's name, and which Hagar bare Ishmael. Verse 16, Abram four, was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. She returned to the camp, submitted herself to Sarah, and in due course the promised son was born. She chose it. She made a decision. She could have rejected it. She could have heard the voice of God and said, not me. She could have returned to her homeland in Egypt. The temptation is always go back to the place of comfort. Always go back to the place where you know. But she listened to a God. She obeyed God. 
and God blessed even this Egyptian woman. She stood for righteousness. She chose to do right. See, salvation is, is basically faith and repentance. The recognition and belief that God is real, trusting his word, and then changing your life, your direction to his way instead of your way. That's exactly what blind Bartimaeus did. He heard the name Jesus Nazareth. He cried out to, to God, the son of, son of David, have mercy upon me. He chose in faith to believe in God. But not only that, he stood up, cast off his cloak, and chose Jesus. It was faith plus repentance. Bartimaeus arose and cast off his garment. Zacchaeus, which was also at Jericho, climbed down the sycamore tree and spent time with Jesus. Paul, the apostle, blinded on the road to Damascus, decided not just to stay on that road blinded. He chose to go to Damascus and be healed and ultimately be used greatly of God. So we see the alternatives of Abe, the actions of a sovereign God, the attitude of Hagar, in closing tonight, the application. Let me give you some misconceptions of faith. Some misconceptions oftentimes we have of faith. Do you ever feel like God could never use me? God could never use me in my situation. Never God could use, use me because of who I am or what I've done. The first mis- misconception is that faith is evident by the amount. By the amount. If I just have more of it, things will work out my way. No. No, it's not, it's, not, it's, not more of, it's not more of it. It's ultimately the object of your faith. See, faith is not just faith in faith. Faith is faith in God. Who are you trusting in? It's not just belief. It's belief in what God has said. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 17, 20, and Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say in this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. So it's not the amount of faith, it's the object of faith. Do you really believe in God? Do you trust in his omnipotence, his power? Do you trust that he is omnipresent? That whether you're here in this place, if you think God can only hear you in this place called the church, dear friend, what are you going to do when you walk out that door? God sees you here. God sees you there. God sees you everywhere. Now, you're living for God. That's a comfort. But if you're walking away from God, that's a, that's a, that's a scary thing. It's a scary thing. But he's there. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's all power. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. It's not just the amount of faith that matters. It's the object of faith. The second misconception is that faith is established by emotion. If I just work up a bunch of, if I just cry hard enough, if I just yell hard enough, if I just mean it enough, then I will get it. <laughs> Again, it's, what, it's focusing on what you can do to get it. It's not having more earnestness. It's not working yourself up. It's not, it's not that. Faith is believing God's word. Emotion has nothing real to do with it. I've, peop- I've seen people saved laughing and being saved, crying and being saved, and then showing no emotion at all and being saved. Dear friend, it's not the emotion of it. It's obeying the truth that's been revealed to you. You say, well, if you didn't cry, you really didn't mean it. Well, where's that at? 
Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord and cry shall be saved. <laughs> whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord and, and, and show it with their face shall be saved. No, it is whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not, con- it's not conditioned on your emotion. It's not the amount that you think you have to have. The third misconception about faith is exercised by self-confidence. If I really, 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 really mean it, then really, 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 it's going to happen. If I'm just confident enough, if I just believe enough, if I just try hard enough, I know that I know that I know that I know it's going to happen. I remember us playing one of our teams. We were playing them in a state playoff one time. This other team had this had this little this little cheer. And it, it was almost like a chant. It would go, they would go like this. I believe, 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 I believe. <laughs> and I think sometimes Christians just think, well, if I just say it over and over again, I believe, I believe, and I believe, I believe, and I believe, it's going to happen. Shazam! No, dear friends, it's not you. It's God. Have faith in We're trying to take the simple and make it complex. The whole world looks at us and says, don't you just simply believe? Don't you simply trust? There's so many scams out there, isn't there? There's so many fake things. My Angie and I were watching TV just the other night. This guy got on there, and he, and he had a pocket of water. He said, I will send you this spring water, and if you get it and you drink it, you will be it will unleash the blessing of your life. And one lady said, I got $30,000 in the mail. The other lady said, I got $56,000 in the mail. And I want to say, how much do they pay you to say that? It's a lie. Faith is not about schemes. Faith is not about self. Faith is in God alone. Faith. If this dear Poor, lonely, Egyptian woman who'd been mistreated, misaligned, maligned, laughed at, scorned. Oh, all kind of issues she had. Have faith in God. Dear friends, why can't we? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. How's your faith tonight? What are you waiting for? What are you praying for? What are you longing for? What do you have to have? How long has it been? I read the story and I, I close. I was thinking about the martyr John Huss who was going to die for his faith. He was in prison. But not before he died, he was going to be burnt to death at a stake. He saw a candle that was in his room and he touched the candle and it burned him. He pulled his hand back and he thought to himself, How can I handle the flames at my feet if I touch the candle flame and I turn my hand back? How can I do that? They're going to want me to recant. They're going to want me to deny my Lord. They're going to want me to say things I shouldn't say. Once they put the fire to the wood, they're going to want me to deny my Lord. What am I going to do if I can't even touch a candle flame? without being afraid. That night he got with God, asked God for his help and his strength. The next day, just like he knew, 
he died a martyr's death by the flames, but he did not repent and died trusting in God, believing in God all the way. And God at that moment gave him the grace and strength for the trial that he was going through. And dear friend, God will give you that grace too. In your time of need, ask for his grace, his mercy, his strength to do whatever he has asked you to do. He will supply it according to his perfect will. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this truth that is found in your word. I pray, Lord, tonight you'd help us to realize the importance of just trusting in you, simply trusting. We often sing that song, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Help us, Lord Jesus, simply to have faith, belief, trust, childlike faith. Jesus said, you can't enter the kingdom unless they come in as like a child. Help us to just simply that simple belief, that simple faith, that simple trust, believing, knowing, hoping. As the music plays this evening, maybe you're here today and you're struggling in your faith. Maybe there's an area in your life where you're discouraged. You feel all alone. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's you're, 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 you're praying for something. You've been praying for something for years and it just hasn't happened. And you say today, I believe. Help my unbelief. I'm struggling with my belief. I'm struggling with my faith. I'm, strugg I'm struggling believing. I'm wanting something to happen. I'm wanting a change to happen. I want a direction to be different. Wherever area it may be, I'm struggling in my faith for God today. Would you pray for me? Anybody like that tonight, be honest. I'm struggling believing. I'm struggling my faith. Amen. Somebody else. I'm struggling. I'm struggling, preacher. My faith is wavering. I've been asking. I've been praying. I've been hoping. I've been shouting out. My faith is wavering. Even the greatest among us, sometimes our faith wavers. Is that you tonight? I'm struggling in my faith, and I admit it. I'm asking God to increase my faith, increase my reliance, to trust in him more. I need it. Oh, dear friend, let's stand to our feet tonight. If God has spoken to your heart, your heart tonight, would you come? Maybe just come to this altar and say, Lord, I've tried. I've prayed giving it all to you tonight whatever that request is whatever that desire is whatever it may be would you give it to God tonight would you turn it over to him would you quit trying and start trusting would you choose to have faith